Welcome to the Think with ABD podcast, a podcast about accelerating the adoption of analytics, digital, and design. This is Michelle Liu, and I welcome you to the first episode of this podcast. Cities have been around for centuries and have survived pandemics. With increasing efforts of a social distancing and all sort of a health protocols, we know one day that COVID-19 will all be in a history. But we are also sure that this pandemic is going to change our city forever. In today's Think with ABDs podcast, we have invited Wafi Alasin. Wafi is an urban tech enthusiast, ex data scientist, and currently strategy and operation manager at Uber Canada. Please join me in welcome Wafi. Great. Thank you so much for the introduction, Michelle. So maybe to start off our conversation, might I ask you to briefly describe what urban tech is? For sure, and um, urban tech is quite the term. It it doesn't have a strict definition, but a few VC、uh, funds and bodies in the U.S. and Europe have defined it as anything that is a technology that makes cities and urban spaces more connected, livable, and efficient. So you can think of urban tech as touching sectors like real estate. Uh, transportation, mobility, delivery services, and、um, potentially even a little bit of health tech and cybersecurity that can have or has anything to do with cities overall. Interesting. So basically, I guess technology, anything touching to urban livings and lifestyle, etc. In this case, one of the most commonly used word in conversation is social distancing, as we are in the week night of self isolation. So、how do you see social distancing affect the public in using transportation? Maybe not just in the context of what people do during the quarantine, but also in the post-COVID-19 era. For sure, I mean it's no secret that when we look at public transportation, it's exhibiting quite a decline in ridership overall. To get a better sense of transportation, let's let's put it into two different categories. Let's talk about transportation as.、Uh, Shared mobility and as、uh, private-owned transportation. So when we talk about shared mobility, we're thinking public transit. We're, think- we're thinking ride-hailing services. Those both have been severely impacted, and there is a little bit of a, of a lack of trust when it comes to those bodies because of them potentially being mediums carrying infectious diseases at this stage. On the other hand, personal mobility and active transportation like walking or cycling has is seeing kind of a, a A surge, in a sense, we we hear we hear news in China and other parts of the world where you have an increase in sales and car ownership right now because of the impacts of the pandemic.、Uh, we also see in the U.S. I read that in the information a couple of days ago. There's an increase in e-scooter sales,、uh, and that's expected to be kind of a medium for transportation in the future.、Mm-hmm. So, no secret transportation has been impacted severely, but I do think that transportation will see. Uh, recovery the same way the entire world was either recovering COVID.、Uh, in the end of the day, we need to be able to move, and while movement is halted right now, that after we restore confidence in our different transportation services, we'll slowly see people go back and take on whether it's ride sharing or public transit.、Um, and we also, I think, from my opinion, we'll see also an increase in active transportation, and we'll see that. Services like climb or jump in the U.S. or anything that has to do with e-scooters and e-bikes will、um, have a lot of allure simply because they're open air and they need more trustworthy. If we put the proper 
disinfection uh, procedures in place for those kind of modes. I saw an astonishing number, like by 2025, the global e-bike market will be over 27 billion USD. In fact, a few years ago, China's bike sharing economy caught many investors' attention, and they were certainly up and down. I guess my question is that, considering the geography differences and population density comparing North America and Asia, how do you see the West of a building bike sharing services like that? For sure. I mean, you touched on one of the requirements of success and its density. Uh, cities like Toronto or New York or Los Angeles, maybe not Los Angeles, but uh, San Francisco, where you have enough density to actually have such services further around, that'll be crucial for its success. I think over time as well, if we were to think about the future of cities in general and how can urban space be reallocated, we are capable of rezoning multiple areas in the suburbs to, to actually be open for say multi-purpose residential uh, units um, or multi-story residential units and therefore creating enough density to actually have people uh, or enough people being able to use these services to move around and I think that's mm -hmm. where I hope to see the world moves but who knows if that's going to be the case or not. Right, right, for sure and I, I do want to go deep in terms of a kind of urban densification um, and I think that's one of the attractiveness of being inside of city because we're to be connected to different indiv individual bonds to each other, right? But it's because of, uh, you know, we have seen so far people are more and more, con well, more and more concerned urban density, especially in the post-COVID-19. Um, there's a kind of reverse trend in urban densification, right? And I think there's a survey done by Status Canada uh, last year talk about with increasing living costs in major cities like Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal, there's a reverse trend of people are moving out of the city. And there was a roughly 76,000 of uh, Canadian actually uh, move from those major cities to respective provinces. And I think, you know, with the COVID-19 situation and people are more concerned about um, getting into close proximity with strangers. And what do you think about that? What do you think about this trend and I guess, you know, being um, escalated. For sure. I mean, it's, it's a very important question. And historically, when we look at how cities have evolved, uh, uh, especially post pandemics, we see movement in and out all the time. But the theme or the overall trend is that cities or urbanization has always triumphed. Uh, when we look at, say, the Spanish flu or the Black Death that infected Europe, cities were the center of that infectious disease. But over time, cities remained very strong and people ended up going to cities and density exploded. And I don't expect COVID right now to have any kind of a different effect. I think over time, we will still continue to see uh, an increase in people flocking to cities simply because that's where the opportunity is, that's where jobs are, uh, that's where you can make the most out of personal connections, that's where you can have a a proper community with small shops intermixed with larger uh, box stores around you. Like it is the ideal location for someone who is trying to identify and find themselves in, in a very crowded world. Uh, but we have to restore confidence. And, and we have to kind of rethink how cities should be shaped and how urban space should be, re should be allocated. Uh, we need to think about cities that are less focused on the vehicle, more focused on the person. And when we do that, we can end up with cities that are less polluted, uh, 
cities that have less traffic and cities that are much more attractive to different segments of the population. Interesting. I like the way you say we should build a city based on humans and not just um, other things. Um, so can you maybe elaborate a bit on that? Um, when you're thinking about building a city that is putting human at the center of all the designs, how do you see maybe transportation play the role there? I mean, it's, I think transportation are more or less the arteries of cities and, and how transportation um, and how, or how we think about transportation planning ends up shaping how our cities look like overall. Uh, right now, or historically, if you think about the 1950s, we always thought about how we can design for cars and how they need to be, how cars need to be the center of our existence. And that's why you have the, the, the highways and the way they're built in the US. And that's why you have the suburbs as the center of population for potentially more affluent societies. But in reality, as we grow and, and continue to expand from a population standpoint, we need to think about how we can move beyond vehicles. That's important for us, not just to take care of our cities, but to take care of our environment. So when we talk about how we can expand sidewalks, for example, one, to ensure enough spacing, and two, to be able to encourage pedestrian movement. And when we talk about how we want to expand bicycle infrastructure, which is happening all around the world, in order to also reduce congestion and be able to allow people to have a cheaper mode of transportation. I think that'll be critical in how cities need to adapt and that will shape how cities will emerge out of COVID in the near future. So I guess with uh, increasing effort into expanding kind of personal space, um, reducing maybe close proximity to others and, and to better ensure the, the safety protocol is always being enforced at least in the foreseeable future. So that's kind of a shift gear a little bit in terms of talking talking about uh, working from home or digital workforce. Um, and, I, and I'm pretty sure you're aware of a lot of the technology company um, decided to allow the employee to work from home for the rest of the year. Um, and even, and I think the CEO of Twitter mentioned they actually um, don't mind um, employee and working from home forever. So um, I guess in this current environment, what, what do you think about that? What do you think about how people kind of uh, um, maybe stay away from um, physical co-location. Uh, how does that affect kind of a productivity and what do you think this is going to do with the society or the city by themselves? I mean, I think it works for Twitter. Uh, not sure if it will work for everyone else. Yes, Twitter, companies like Twitter came out and said you can work from home indefinitely if you choose to. Uh, companies like Google and Facebook came out and said you could potentially work from home at the end of the year. But we also saw Elon Musk and Tesla really pushing to get back to uh, working at their manufacturing sites. And we saw Apple encouraging their employees to come back to their offices because hard work can't be built, at least right now, virtually. So there are different types of jobs and some jobs allow you to work from home while many others don't. Uh, and I think companies in general will be uh, cost-driven and profit-driven and where possible, they will look for ways to shed real estate costs and improve their margins. And that may mean less offices, but I'm very curious about the data that's being used right now and companies are monitoring this data, whether it's uh, code pushes or uh, sale numbers or other stuff that can reflect how well work from home is working. And I think right now, in my opinion, 
everything, all data we're capturing right now is fairly skewed and biased simply because of the nature of COVID and the kind of mentality we have been developing in terms like survival instincts to get out of this disease. But over time, the value of working from or working in the office is going to come back to, to, to the discussion. And we're going to talk about the creativity that comes out from agglomerating people together and the connections we build and the efficiency that uh, results from that kind of uh, uh, proximity. It's not going to be one, one tail, it's going to be multiple tails. And I do see, I do agree with Eric Schmidt's comments as well, where he came out and said, we expect to see an increase in satellite offices uh, where people will have multiple options, but many of them will still be expected to work from the office many days of the week. But in order to one, limit the fear of using public transit for long distances and to enable people to work from offices with less commute time, we will have these satellite offices in different central business districts around the world. Um, and people will be able to basically attend these offices instead of having to go all the way to say the downtown core. And that will also shape the future of cities because it will shape how we can expand and rezone our urban space in a way that encompasses uh, density, but not necessarily as much density as you see right now in major hubs around the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think if we can start thinking about redesigning the whole city based on the needs and um, and all the requirements of running different activities, and I think that would be the best for everybody. And considering now we um, overly populate certain area and, and not so much in another, right? Especially in oh, yeah. Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I guess you would, you know, after you talk about uh, digital workforce and how does it going to affect the cities, so I would say the broader speaking, how, how do you see this kind of affect also the sharing economy because it's something uh, really new um, come out in the past decades, right, and then especially after reception, then people are thinking about the economies and think about what's the best way of utilizing those underutilized assets. How do you see this, um, especially after COVID-19? I mean, it's a very interesting question because you look, if you look at innovation historically, when you think about the Googles and Alphabets of the world, they were really springing out of garages here and there in the suburbs. But when you talk about the Ubers and Airbnbs and WeWorks of the world, they are the product of city living and they only make sense because of the density and the economies of scale you get from cities. And right now you see Airbnb and WeWork and, and Uber and Lyft and other companies suffering significantly from the decline in mobility and, and the kind of the, the halt of movement internationally. Uh, while you see other kinds of uh, sharing economy uh, companies such as like Uber Eats or Instacart thriving in this environment because of the convenience they, they deliver, uh, especially in the kind of, kind of era we are in right now, if you wish. And, and basically, I think over time, we should lean in to the sharing economy rather than pull out. In my opinion, the sharing economy adds resilience to city infrastructure rather than the opposite. Think of it as, as, as a variable cost versus a fixed cost. If you have hotels or subway lines, those are fixed costs that you can't really pull out from when you need to dial down mobility or dial down uh, the economy in general while sharing economy can be dialed down, dialed back up, depending on your need. And when we talk about, if we were to tie back to COVID, when we talk about the, the possibility of multiple pandemics or a W-shaped recovery, 
you will need to dial down and dial back up the economy multiple times. And as a result, you can lean into the sharing economy and actually work together with private companies need to do the same with, with their public counterparts or the municipalities they operate within. You can benefit from that flexibility. So if we want to be more specific, you can work with WeWork to have uh, different office allocations for people for a temporary period of time across uh, different central business districts, implementing that kind of satellite office mentality temporarily and making sure you have the right disinfected uh, disinfection policy in place to protect people as they're working versus having to buy real estate here and there permanently. You can work with Uber and other ride-sharing companies to implement transit partnerships and move people around and benefit the most vulnerable of us who can't afford to buy a car or can't afford to uh, move and locate closer to work if they need to, and potentially even can't even afford to work from home because their work doesn't allow them to operate from their from their homes. So you can partner with these companies to offer that kind of transportation. And I think the city of Innisfil is a good example in Canada. They do just that in order to just have that kind of flexibility and resilience in your infrastructure overall. That's, that's very interesting. What, what do you think about consumer going to adjust to the new norm? We talk about underutilization of a lot of asset, and I think car being swans, and, and I think nowadays, especially when going back to reintegrating back to uh, social life, how do you see in terms of the challenges of uh, sharing economies, companies, and have to do in order to maybe encourage consumer to trust, you know, save to, to use many vehicles as someone else? For sure. Um, I mean, it's it's an interesting time to be alive because the macroeconomic trends suggest that on one end, a lot of people are out of work and the sharing economy kind of offers them the possibility to get a job temporarily as they find their footing or potentially permanently, depending on uh, the, the kind of income structure you can, you can put together. And on the other hand, because of these layoffs and because of the halt in mobility, the uh, ability to spend or disposable income is fairly limited, so you kind of want to get the best deal for your buck. So, um, again, it plays into the flexibility of the sharing economy to an extent, not necessarily 100%. Uh, we see many initiatives being implemented by these companies right now to restore confidence. Um, for example, Uber and Lyft both came out and said you have to wear face masks, trying to deliver disinfectants and wipes to drivers uh, in order to be able to carry that cost and help them in making sure their vehicles are, are as clean as possible. Taxis, although a bit outside the sharing economy, are investigating having uh, plexiglass um, in order to protect their drivers and the riders in the, in the backseat. But I think overall, these are still more appealing alternatives than having to be uh, in mass transit moving from one place to another because the number of people you're sharing the space with is limited. So they play a nice incremental step to uh, the return to normalcy, uh, but a lot of effort is needed from these companies to assure both the uh, their, 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 their supplier of those services, such as drivers, for example, and the cons consumers of these services, such as riders in the case of ride hailing, to feel comfortable in sharing that space. And, and that effort is, I think, underway in many companies. For sure. I just want to share maybe uh, my experience as a consumer. I really love the slogan, Move What Matters, uh, because if I <laughs> think about 
um, for myself, and I don't drive and I don't own a car, and I need to get to somewhere. And I know right now I shouldn't go out, but if there's something I really have to to get out, you know, for whatever reason, and there's no other transportation available, and then for me, that Uber ride becomes like a necessity for me. So I think this is just gonna speak be true to a lot of the individual, just like myself. And then also thinking about like you know food delivery and stuff like that, and then young professional like myself, and I think it's a it's definitely something we we kind of fall back on that probably without thinking too much before COVID nineteen. Now it's it's something we feel like oh we really glad that we actually have just to order something. Right? I mean, hundred okay. percent. I mean, uh, especially yeah. as as sorry, I just interrupted. The, there's a reason okay. why municipalities and governments deemed uh, these services as essential and they kept them running versus shutting them down completely and and have become more essential to our lives in different ways and they probably will continue to be uh, but the hope is that there's uh, always growing collaboration between these different entities public and private so that the benefit is uh, not just to young professionals like myself or you but also to the uh, wider population overall yeah Absolutely. And I also like the way you were speaking about economics, right? And, and, and I think at the end of the day, you and I, we're both consumers. We look at a balance sheet. We look at how much price we're going to pay. Either I had to rent a car and drive to a location and take out my food, or I pay for someone deliver for me. And that is a sheer cost uh, among other uh, other people. So I think to me, like the math, if, we're, if it work out okay, you know, additional fee, that's fine here. So um, I guess given all has been, you know, discussed, maybe we're going to relocate um, our society in terms of the resources and the future of the work and the fact the cities are mostly affected by uh, COVID-19. So what do you think? Do you think the city will bounce back eventually? I am bullish on cities. I think cities <laughs> will bounce back. I think cities will bounce back in, in a new way. Uh, I, I believe that COVID accelerated many uh, things we used to discuss in the past, such as the future of work. And I think it also will accelerate how cities are designed and, and reimagined. We heard about the 15-minute neighborhood that the uh, that the mayor of Paris proposed, where basically everything you need from your local coffee shop to your job to uh, your kid's daycare or school will be a 15-minute walk. And that's kind of how Paris is reimagining itself post this pandemic. We heard about how London and Toronto are reimagining streets, uh, expanding sidewalks, increasing bicycle infrastructure, and closing down multiple roads in order to facilitate the re uh, the recovery of cities and, and be able to have be able to give people enough space to move around and, and continue their life as normal. And with that, with that direction, I'm, I'm very hopeful about the future of cities and because it's, it's seems like it's going in a direction where you have less pollution, less traffic, less noise, but maintaining the benefits of density and the benefits of spontaneous interactions and the benefits of being within a community overall. So that's why I'm fairly bullish on cities. So yes, cities will bounce back as they bounced back in the past. And I look forward to seeing that bounce back happen. I guess that just sums up today's uh, talk. Thank you very much, Wafi, for joining us. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. Apologies for a few 
audio issues during the recording. Just a few reminders. Comments, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast do not constitute as business or investment advice. Comments mentioned by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the view of Analytic by Design and its constituents.